I don't think I've told you this story. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't. But the, uh, the first girl who broke my heart was named Susie. Uh, Susie Jones. She had long black hair and uh, shiny, shiny eyes and uh, a very waggly tail and a cold nose. And uh, she was our second puppy. And I went through a lot of puppies as a child. And, um, and I just loved her. And she, she had a broken leg. She had an ugly scar on her leg because my brother did run over her one morning. But, you know, that happens. And we got her to the vet and got it sewed up. And, um, and we just, I just loved her so much. She was very cute. And one day she just ran off. She just ran off. And, um, and she broke my heart. I couldn't believe that she would leave us. And I cried and I prayed for that dog. For years, I would pray for that dog. Lord, wherever Susie went, I pray that you'll be with her. I hope she found a good home. Please don't let her be cold. When it was cold outside, I pray. I was like three. I was really young, three or four. And um, I, it was years later before I found out that my next-door neighbor had poisoned her with a biscuit. And, but that's another story about growing up in Dresden. But anyway, uh, so all those prayers fell on uh, deaf ears. Well, not deaf ears. God's not deaf. But you understand what I'm saying. The dog was already dead. Um, I say all I have to say this. I learned a hard, hard lesson that year. And that lesson is that love continues even after the object of your love, the object of your affection is gone. And that feels very broken to me. That's when you feel the brokenness of the world, actually. When you lay a loved one to rest, or somebody that you love doesn't love you anymore, or uh, my wife, uh, my wife talks about how much she hates love. She said, "I just hate it. Love, love makes us miserable because uh, your kids—they're so mean, and they grow up, and that's just a savage thing for them to do, and uh, and then they're gone, and they break your heart." And um, that's, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong. Our hearts uh, desire fulfillment. Our hearts desire closure. I, uh, I've been watching. Uh, Bianca and I have a hard time finding TV shows we both like. Because she likes, like, depressing, dark, I mean, dark, like, Icelandic, dark uh, detective mysteries where, you know, the sun doesn't come up for weeks at a time. And, and I'm just like, I can't go there. And, and so, um, I like, like outlandish. There's no possible way this is real. You're not getting to my emotions. That's dumb, um, kind of TV. And so we had to find shows that kind of meet in the middle where it's, you know, it's, it's outlandish enough that I'm not getting attached to anybody. Cause I know at any point somebody could die. Uh, and yet it's dark enough that it keeps her interested. Um, and so we found one, and I don't recommend it for children. It's called Bosch, uh, but it's really well written. And uh, there's this scene in the first season where the district attorney is trying to do something kind of reckless so he can, he says he wants to find these bodies and, and give the families closure. He's actually trying to get votes. He wants to run for mayor. But he says, I got, we got to give the families closure. 
And Bosch, this hard-boiled detective philosopher, uh, says, there's no such thing as closure. He is so right. He is so right. And what I love is most television shows won't give you the opposite of that, right? They give you closure. And they're like, you know, so-and-so, they've hated each other for years, but they make up and hug at the end of the show, and they have closure, and there's a family dinner, and everybody's happy, and the credits roll. And we look at that and go, why don't I get closure? Because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Wounds heal, but we seldom get the chance uh, to say the things we want to say, to... Love just continues. That's just the problem. That's the nature of love. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Love continues. And the people that we love, they're just as frail as grass. And the grass withers and the flowers fall. And that leaves us without the closure that we want. And the Apostle Paul in this text, he explains to us that Better than closure, the resurrection is the fulfillment. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but more than that, it it fulfills the promise for new life. It fulfills the promise of God that He is going to heal this world and everything in it. He is going to get about, get to the work of healing the creation, and the resurrection was the first act of that. And, And what I want you to see as we read this text is that the resurrection is the answer to our deepest desires. The resurrection is the fulfillment of our deepest, deepest desires, and it demands the question, will you believe it? Will you believe it? This is a fascinating text because, if nothing else, it shows us how the Apostle Paul preached. This is one of his sermons. We don't get many of his sermons. We get a lot of his letters, but not many of his sermons, but this is one of them. Well, please stand. For the reading of the text of Ma- from Acts chapter 13. And I, again, like I've done every week, these texts are long. Uh, Luke was a very wordy author. And so uh, I encourage you to, to read the entire chapter at home. But here are some excerpts from Paul's sermon. Hear the word of the Lord. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, To us has been sent the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
Now the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you have thrust it aside, judge for your, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is the word of the Lord. It is more precious than gold, even fine, fine gold. And it is sweeter than honey that comes straight from the honeycomb. Let's give our attention to it. Please be seated. The resurrection, Paul says, is the fulfillment of everything that that God had promised. It's the fulfillment that we're looking for. It's better than closure. It fulfills our deepest desires. And and the question is, will you believe it? Now, the the first thing I want you to see is why we need this. And the problem, the reason why we are unfulfilled, the the reason why we need God to come in and do something is human weakness itself. There's the, the overwhelming question of human weakness that, you know, everybody you love is eventually going to die, and that is crushing and heartbreaking in and of itself. But you also have the smaller issues of, of human weakness of just getting your heart broken and finding out that, that person after person ultimately wasn't able to, to withstand the, the weight of being loved. And we see two very significant issues in this in this particular text, that, that really bring out the weakness of humans and the reason why we need somebody to come in and fulfill us. And the first one is our blindness. We just can't see it. We can't see truth when it's right in front of us. Paul says, these texts are read to you every Sabbath. The promises, the, the, the prophecies of Jesus, they were read to you every Sabbath, and you didn't know him when you saw him. He was right in front of you. In the same way, we find ourselves blind. We, we, we hear the truth, and we, we hear it over and over for years, some of us, and it just never clicks. We, we can't force ourselves to believe it. We can't force ourselves to say, I, I was wrong, and, and say all those things we have to say to, to ultimately become a follower of Christ, that, that I'm not going to trust myself anymore, that I've been wrong to uh, assert my own independence my entire life, that I'm weak. Um, it's just, it, it just seems so opposite to us. I think of the the Pharisees coming to Jesus in John 6, the text we read for the call to worship. And they asked them a very simple question. You know, just tell us. Enough of these parables, enough of all this, you know, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the Meek stuff. Just tell us, put it in plain language. What do we have to do to work the works of God? And he says, this is the work of God. Believe in the one he sent. No, really, tell us. 
What is it? Believe in the one he sent. Well, can you give us a sign? Moses fed the children of Israel in the wilderness. Which, I mean, it's got to be a headbanger, right? It's like, I just fed you in the wilderness yesterday. I just did that. Come on. We just can't see it. And, um, and so we don't believe it. And then secondly, the weakness, our weakness comes from our inability to do the law. Our inability to complete it. Look at verse 39. We'll begin with 38 because 38 is such a great verse. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. Now, the word there is justified. It's clearly justified. My Bible has a little footnote that says the word is justified. And you want to go, why didn't you say it? I don't know. They should have. Um, So we're going to put that in there, okay? By him, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, the word justified means you've been made complete, right? So if you write a check, those of you who are old enough to remember checks, if you use a debit card, if you use Apple Pay, okay, and you've got a debit card linked to your Apple Pay or your Venmo, justified means you have the money in the account to cover the expense you just made. And when that money leaves the account, your debit is justified. You're fulfilled. And he's saying here that Jesus fulfills us in every way, in everything that the law could not fulfill us. Now, why can't being good fulfill us? Why can't working hard fulfill us? Why, does it, why is it complete nonsense for us to say to the Lord, as so many of us have at one time or another, I'm going to be good from here on out. If you'll just do this, if you'll just give me a B on that test, if you'll just bring me a boyfriend by prom, if you'll just just let my football team get this, cover this onside kick, if you'll ever just if you'll just forgive me this one time, I'll be good. Why is that nonsense? Because nothing you can do has any effect on what you've done in the past. Let me explain. The law is a list of things to do and not do, primarily not to do. So let's imagine you had a perfect day. You have a perfect day. You're loving the Lord. You begin the day with worship. You're loving your kids. You, you pray over them. You're loving your spouse. You're, everybody you see that during the day, if you see a need that they're having, you help them meet it. You stop and help the person who's having car trouble. You see someone struggling to 
get all their groceries in their shopping cart with all the children they have around, and you say, can I please help you? And you help them with their groceries before you go in and get your own. The whole day, you are just loving people more than you're loving yourself. The whole day, you are loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You have not one time envied a single thing. You've not envied your neighbor's house. You not, have not envied your neighbor's spouse. You've not envied your neighbor's car. You've not wanted more money. You haven't wanted anything that you don't have. You haven't wanted to be, you know, you haven't been angry that you didn't get to wake up in a warm place on a beach this morning. You're, you're just happy. You're content with what the Lord has given you. And you go to bed, and it occurs to you, you have not sinned all day. And you want to stand before the Lord and go, look. And he comes into your bedroom and goes, okay, you did what you were supposed to do. That's one. You did what you were supposed to do. Congratulations. It has no effect on yesterday. <laughs> You're not back filling those holes. You just had a good day today. Congratulations. You didn't make the hole any deeper. You still haven't filled in the debt. The, the law is unable to justify us, not because it is weak, but because we are weak. And we are, we're limited in our ability to do anything with it. But Jesus, to do what is called to do through it, but Jesus kept the law perfectly, not for one day, but every day of his life. And he had, so therefore he had no debt. And when he went to the grave, he was paying our debt for us. He did not have a debt of his own to pay. And when he was raised from the dead, the reason the Bible tells us he was raised for our justification, it, he was that was the sign, the ultimate sign that he had paid the debt. It was paid. He owed no more. I've got a friend in uh, prison right now, and he's been there for many years, but he's getting out in 11 more months, Lord willing. We'll see. He doesn't do too good when it gets close, but we'll let that slide for now. And, and when he walks out of the prison, that is the sign his debt to society is paid. When Jesus walked out of the prison of the grave, his debt was paid. His resurrection is our receipt. For, for the first few weeks that Costco was open, I got nervous when I was walking out, right? Because they, they look at those receipts, you know. They got their little highlighter. You may go, Mr. Jones. And uh, at first I was like scared. I don't know what I was scared of. Like somebody had snuck something into my basket. I don't know. And I was like, but now I walk out with complete confidence. Be gone, doorman. I have my receipt. And he says, yes, sir, you do. You may go. Um, Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And his resurrection is not only the fulfillment of the law for us, but it fulfills everything that we desperately want and need. Now, I spent too long on the first point. So I'm going to make up for that by spending too long on the second point. Um, he fulfills everything that you desperately want and need. Our ultimate, first of all, it, the, the resurrection itself is a true historic fact. That means it is a solid place to stand when it comes to religion, when it comes to morality. 
when it comes to ethics, when it comes to how you make decisions for life, it feels like sometimes we're just, we're, we're, we're on the beach, we're just enough into the water where the water's up over our calves and it's pushing us back and forth and, and we need a solid place to stand. And, and the resurrection is a historic fact. It is a solid place to stand. What do I mean by that? I mean, people don't reject Christianity because they uh, explore the truth and find it wanting. That's way too hard of work, right? They, re- they reject Christianity because they don't like the rules. I just can't believe something that has, uh, you know, I, I can't believe with the Christian ethic of, of sexuality. And our response to that, the Bible's response to that is, fine. That has nothing to do with the historic resurrection of Jesus. Jesus being raised from the dead is a historic fact. What you think about worship, what you think about um, the, the morality, the moral code of Jesus, what you think about forgiving your neighbors, what you think about forgiving your enemies, none of that has any effect on this historic fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. It gives you a solid place to stand because it's true. uh, The resurrection gives us a future hope that Jesus was raised from the dead, so we will be. And we get to keep our identity. Jesus was still Jesus, but he was better. He was healed. And we will still be us, but we'll be better. Which is good. One of the things that depresses me the most is the thought that i got to be this. That's why... the, the uh, idea of reincarnation just never appealed to me. It's like, I get to do this over and over? Really? That's the best you got. And, and, and I, I'm tired of being this. I want to be better than this. And the resurrection is a future hope that I will be very soon. I will be better than this. I'll be healed. I won't have longings. I won't have shortcomings. We'll be connected. Paul says we're, we're as connected as a seed is to a flower. Like the flower comes from the seed. They're connected. You can't deny that, I guess, if you know anything about science. But yet, when you look at the flower, it's infinitely more glorious than a seed. In the same way, we are going to be connected to, this, to who we are, but infinitely better more glorious. The the resurrection is the fulfillment of our need for a never-ending love. The resurrection is the promise of no more heartaches because everybody that we love will be worthy of that love and they will not fail us and they will not get sick and they will not forget us and they will not die. And this love that we now experience that honestly leads to heartache will no longer make us sad. We'll be able to be able to experience it with abandon and with joy because the people we love will never leave us. The that that's what we're made for. I mean, it's it's almost mean of God to give us the ability to love if it's never going to be a fulfilled uh, a fulfilled thing if, if it were always if it's only going to lead to heartbreak but it won't one day it will lead it will be fulfilled with eternal love 
And finally, not finally, finally on my list, the list is infinite. Uh, the resurrection is the fulfillment of our need for, for adventure, for uh, mystery, for investigation. And this is just for you science fiction buffs out there. I, uh, I've, I've been listening to books a lot lately, and I listened to one by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a, one of the, he, he wants us to believe he's one of the world's foremost physicists. I guess he is. I don't know that many physicists. But uh, he, anyway, you know, wrote this book about the universe, trying to explain it to people like me. And, and at the end of the book, he starts kind of going on his fantasy. Like, he has these fantasies of, of wormholes. And they might exist, he says. And, and you could go into a wormhole, follow me here, and, and, and you just kind of, when you come out, you're in a different place in the universe. And he doesn't understand how they work, but he's seen signs that they might exist. And he really wants them to exist. Because you could travel faster than the speed of light. You, they're shortcuts. And he wants them to exist so badly. And I want to say, Neil, they're all up in Acts. We got them in almost every chapter. God opens them and shows Stephen, Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul is walking through the, on the road to Damascus, and, and God opens up a, you can call it a wormhole if you want to. It goes to another dimension, another world, and it's real. And if you want to call angels aliens and extraterrestrials, they are extraterrestrials. They don't live on this earth. Call them whatever you want. They're real. And, and we're going to spend eternity investigating and, and glorying in those wonderful things. The resurrection is the fulfillment of everything we desire. And the question it demands is, do you believe it? And the, the, the sticking point of that question is, it is too good to believe. God has to give us the faith to believe. Look here at the, the last verse in your bulletin. The Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Verse, look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Doesn't that look backwards? Don't you think to yourself, wait a minute, I should say everybody who believed received eternal life. Well, that's also true. But that's not what the text teaches. The text is teaching us that faith is a gift. You see, those of us who believe, the reason why we believe is because God's given us this gift of faith. He's given us this gift to, to be able to see Him and to hear Him. And, and just like Jesus teaches in John 6, this was part of the, the call to worship. He says, <clears throat> um, I say to you that you see me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me uh, I will never cast out. Um, everyone who looks to the Son and believes will have eternal life. He, if you go back and you read that entire text, he talks about how no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. And everybody that the Father draws comes. 
And that's, that's why it's so hard to believe. And the reason why I'm ending this is there's a few reasons. One is, like, if you're an unbeliever, you probably th- honestly think that true Christians, if you've ever met one, um, true Christians look a little schizophrenic to you. Because on one hand, they seem like sane people, even nice people. And on the other hand, they talk to their invisible friends. And they make decisions based on their invisible friends. And, and, and what I, I want you to understand is they're not invisible to us because God's given us the gift of faith. The second thing, reason I want to end with this is to teach you who are believers how to pray. We, we, we pray that God would give people eyes to see and ears to hear. Because faith is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's crazy that anybody believes. And, and our job is not to try and prove that it's not crazy. Our job is to pray that God would open their eyes so they could see. And then finally, if you're an unbeliever but you want to be a believer, if you honestly come to this text, and it's very hard to honestly come to a text of Scripture, but if you can honestly come to this text and go, that all looks great, man. I would love to explore wormholes for eternity. I want to be part of this, but I just don't believe it. I want you to understand that all you can do is call out to God. Faith is not something you can drum up within yourself. Faith is a gift of the Lord. But if you ask him for it, he will give it. And then in a few years, you'll realize that the reason why you asked was because he was working in you all along. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, first of all, we thank you so much for giving us the gift of faith. There's nothing we did to deserve it. Uh, but you loved us. And even while we were still dead in our trespasses, you made us alive with Christ. And Father, every one of us in here have people that we love dearly who just don't see it. And we pray that you give them eyes to see the glories of Christ and you give them ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to your church. And that you give them a renewed will so that they would open the door and let you in. We pray all these things in the precious and the perfect name of Jesus. Amen.